Today we are in the second chapter of the book of Jonah. We began last week, and if you were here last week, uh, then you'll remember uh, the general details of what happened in chapter 1. If you weren't here, let me just quickly review so that you can catch up and be with us today. Jonah chapter 2. Now in Jonah chapter 1, we found God speaking to his prophet, his mouthpiece, his messenger, Jonah. And God said to Jonah, Jonah, you are to go to the great city of Nineveh in the country of Assyria. And you, because of the wickedness of this city, you are to preach against the great wickedness of this city and uh, declare that they are far from God. Well, Jonah didn't find this to be a very pleasing assignment. In fact, he was very much intimidated by this assignment. And so instead of uh, heeding the voice of God and obeying the voice of God, Jonah chose, instead of going east to Nineveh, he chose instead to do the direct opposite of that and go west to Tarshish. He could have traveled uh, about 550 miles to uh, Nineveh, but instead he chose to travel 2,500 miles to Tarshish, which is probably uh, what we consider modern, the country of Spain. Jonah, plain and simple, did not do as the Lord had commanded him to do, but instead he went down to Joppa, he bought passage on a boat there in the port, and he got on the boat and traveled on the Mediterranean Sea uh, with a group of uh, pagan sailors heading toward Tarshish. Now, while he's in passage going to Tarshish, uh, God hurls up a storm uh, that came against that ship heading toward Tarshish. And when these pagan sailors, who were a part of the crew there, uh, became alarmed by the immensity of the storm and the turbulence of the waves, and being experienced sailors knew that their, pro- their lives were most likely at stake, these pagan sailors began to cry out to their gods, their pagan gods, and yet their pagan gods did not hear and listen. And so uh, they cast lots to find out who was responsible for this hardship that had come upon them. And the lot fell to Jonah, the prophet of Yahweh, of the living God, of the Hebrews. And where was Jonah? He was not up on deck praying with the other pagans, but instead Jonah was down below deck and he was sleeping. So these pagan sailors went to Jonah and they yanked him up on deck, storm turbulence all around them, and they said, we have determined that you're the reason, you're the cause for these difficulties that have been visited upon us. Tell us who you are. And when they asked Jonah who he was, he admitted that he was a Hebrew and that he feared the Lord God, uh, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, the God, the living God, who had made the earth and the heaven and the seas. And so when the crew, these pagan sailors, asked Jonah what they might do, To still the storm, Jonah thought, well, since I'm the one who's responsible for these difficulties that that have been visited upon you, why don't you just throw me overboard and hopefully that'll take care of this difficult situation. The storm will become calm before you, said Jonah to the sailors. So the crew, even though they were a bit reluctant to uh, heed Jonah's uh, suggestion and didn't want to be responsible 
for his demise. Instead, they were so desperate in this situation, they decided that indeed they would follow his instructions and throw him overboard. That they did, and when they threw him overboard into the Mediterranean Sea, lo and behold, the sea became calm. Uh, the, The storm was quieted. And Jonah is in the water, sinking down, 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 head, as the Scripture here in chapter 2 tells us, his head was enwrapped in seaweed, and the turbulent waters are swirling about him. And even though Jonah was guilty of disobedience, and even though he deserved death, and even though he had surrendered his life to the justice and the mercy of God, in that moment, when death was imminent, Jonah remembered that the God that he served so imperfectly and didn't listen obediently to his voice, that this God, the living God, the God whose personal name was Yahweh, that this God, as the psalmist reminds us, is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so there he is, sinking down, 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 and he cries out to God, this compassionate God, Yahweh, and he cries out to God for mercy. And God displays his mercy by preparing a great fish. Some say a whale, not necessarily so, what we know is it, is a, it was a great fish. God prepared and sovereignly ordained that this sea creature would swim up alongside this boat where Jonah has been thrown overboard and is now sinking down, 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 and this great fish would come along and swallow Jonah up. That was the Lord's merciful action. Now you say, wow, I'm not sure I want the Lord of mercy acting that way in my life, but as we go through this story, you will see that indeed it was God's mercy that this compassionate God has acted in this way. So here we find the prophet Jonah in the belly of a great fish in the sea. Now people look at this Old Testament story, and and there are some who want to say that this can't be a historical record, that it must be just a parable that is meant to teach a spiritual truth. And they've asked the question, is it possible, scientifically, is it possible for a human being to survive in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights? That question has been asked by many who've searched this out over a long period of centuries. People have gone to great lengths to either prove that it is scientifically possible or that it is not scientifically possible, and therefore the book of Jonah must be either myth or parable, that it can't be a historical record. I want to say to you, though, that that whole discussion, I humbly think, I think that whole discussion misses the point entirely and that this discussion seems hardly necessary. Because what we see here in this Old Testament minor prophet book is an instance of the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God whose personal name was Yahweh. What we see here is an instance of the living God at work behind the scenes in everything that's going on. And the Bible says this inspired book of God, His Word, which I still hold to the fact that when all the facts are known, 
when we no longer see through a glass darkly, but when we see Him face to face, that this book, the Holy Bible, is the Word of God, and when all the facts are known, that it is true in all of its record, its history, its science, and, and, its, and is a rule of faith and practice for us. I believe that. I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if that's where you're coming from, but I want you to know where I'm coming from. And so I don't struggle then with this whole idea of God preparing a great fish and swallowing Jonah up in its belly and, and Jonah living there in the fish's belly for uh, three days and three nights. And I know there have been some who've, who've wanted to prove that scientifically or to disprove that scientifically. I think that mi- misses the point because it says it in the Bible. And so whether it's in the category of miracle or it's in the category of something that is scientifically possible, according to my mind, maybe not to yours, but according to my mind, it really doesn't matter. Because I believe in the God of the Bible. And for those of us who believe in the God of the Bible, we should have little difficulty, I think, in believing that something like this is possible because we believe that with God, you finish it for me, all things are possible. If the God of the Bible can raise up Jesus Christ, His Son, from the dead when He had been dead in the tomb, He can certainly, can't He not, He can certainly raise up a great sea monster of the deep and call and ordain that that sea monster come alongside of the ship when his prophet is thrown overboard and can cause that sea monster to swallow his prophet. Now, on the other side of the coin, for those who disbelieve in miracles and don't believe that miracles are still possible and don't believe in the God of the Bible... The evidence, I don't care how much evidence you want to pile up before such a person, that that evidence would not convince them. Because this is absolutely meaningless to the one who is looking for scientific evidence. If miracles don't happen, then the story of Jonah is either just an ancient myth or it is a tall tale about a whale. If miracles don't happen. But because I have staked my life upon knowing that this is the Word of God, that it is inerrant in all of its teachings, and that it can be relied upon, and I've committed my life, as long as God lends me breath, to preach this inerrant Word of God, I do not struggle with this whole story of Jonah. I believe that there is something here that God is speaking not only to those who originally heard this in the original audience, but to His church even today in the 21st century. So as a believer and a follower of Christ, I affirm all of this, and I accept it as evidence of God's miracle-working power. Now I think, too, that as we look at the book of Jonah, that it would be very easy to concentrate on what's happening in the belly of the fish and not concentrate on what's happening inside Jonah's heart. And I think the more important thing for us to to discover here, and particularly chapter 2, is to discover what's going on inside Jonah. So let's look at his prayer in chapter 2. Now imagine Jonah's in the belly of the great fish. 
He's probably curled up in a fetal position inside this stomach. It's dark. His head is wrapped in seaweed. And even if he opens his eyes in this dark belly of a fish, he can't really see anything that's going on around him. Obviously, the stomach juices of this great fish would have begun to irritate his skin. Uh, it would have made him very itchy and probably even further would, singed, uh, would have singed off all the hairs all over his body. And so here he is in the belly of this fish, and he's crying out to the Lord for mercy, and we have his prayer here. And his prayer begins in verse 1, and he says, In my distress I called out to the Lord, and he goes on in, in that and says, From the depths of the grave I called for help. You hurled me into the deep, speaking to God, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again. Jump down to verse 7. He says, my life was ebbing away. In other words, he says, I'm I'm taking my last breaths. I'm at the end of my rope. My back is against the wall. I'm at a pinch point here, God. My life is just about over. My life is ebbing away. Isn't it interesting? That in this moment, Jonah cries out to the Lord for mercy. It's interesting that Jonah waits to the last minute to pray. Jonah wasn't praying when he ran down to Joppa. Jonah wasn't praying when he bought passage on the ship to go to Tarshish. Jonah wasn't even praying when the storm came and the pagan sailors chastised him for his disobedience to Yahweh, the voice of God. Jonah didn't even pray until he got swallowed. And in this, my friends, I think that Jonah is so much like you and me. So many of us wait until the last minute. We wait until things are desperate. We wait until there's no more hope before we turn to God. It seems to me that for Jonah, this prophet of God, that prayer was not a natural part of his life, but instead prayer was some magical formula that he used to move the hand of God and get what he wanted when he was desperate. It seems to me that that prayer in Jonah's life was just a part of an overarching religious facade that was designed to cover up his own rebellion and disobedience. And in the context of his prayer, I think you see several evidences that pinpoint the fact that, that his experience, his prayer even, is just superficial and a facade. Just a couple of, of reasons why I think that's the case. First of all, if you look at the context of his prayer in chapter 1, he's running away from God's assignment for him. In chapter 3, he reluctantly, we'll see next week when we come back together, in chapter 3, he reluctantly decides to obey God. God says to him again, go to Nineveh and preach, and he reluctantly obeys to do so in a half-hearted, minimalist sort of way. And in chapter 4, after seeing all the marvelous workings of God, God doing dramatic things, we still find Jonah in chapter 4 pouting and still in rebellion against God. So I don't believe that this prayer here in chapter 2 is exactly a full turning point yet. 
I think Jonah is in the process of turning, but I don't think that he has fully turned back toward God yet. And so here he is inside the fish praying to the Lord God. In my distress, I cried to the Lord. In the ebbing moments of my life, I'm crying out to you, O Lord, have mercy. But the focus in Jonah's prayer is still on himself. In fact, if you look at his prayer and you analyze it, over and over you will hear Jonah talking and using these words, I, me, mine, myself. In fact, I counted them 26 times in this little prayer. 26 times. In nine verses, Jonah refers to himself. Every line except two lines in this prayer has Jonah at the center. Listen to me. Authentic prayer is prayer where I'm not at the center and my needs are not at the center. Authentic prayer is prayer where God is the center. Oh God, what is your will for my life? What is your purpose for my day. How do, how do you want me to move forward? Jonah goes throughout this prayer and, and he's focused more on his own dire circumstance than he is focusing on the fact that he has disobeyed God. It's interesting to me that in this prayer, Jonah really never talks about the fact that he's rebelled against the will of God that he didn't go to Nineveh as God had spoken. And I keep thinking as I, as I read through this, look at how much Jonah could have missed and escaped had he just initially obeyed God. If when God had said to him, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach against this wicked city, and Jonah had said yes in that circumstance, look at all that he could have missed. The idea of Jonah being thrown in was not God hurling him into the sea. What if Jonah, while he was on deck there on the ship, had obeyed and did what God really wanted him to do, to repent and to turn and to say to God, Okay, God, I'll go to Nineveh. That's what you directed. Yes, I'll go and I'll be your messenger. I bet the storm would have stopped instantly had he done that. The boat could have dropped him off on shore and Jonah would have gotten passage and gone to Nineveh to preach. But is that what Jonah did? Absolutely not. He wanted to continue on in his rebellion, so he said to the sailors, hurl me over and then the ship, uh, the sea will become call. You hurl me into the sea, and now here he is in the belly of the fish, and instead it was the sailors hurling me into the sea. What did he say? He says, God, you hurl me into the sea. You are the one who hurled me into the sea. Again, he's so much like us. We get into these circumstances of our own making and doing. We get into these situations where we've been disobedient to God, and then we point the finger of blame at God and say, God, how could you put me in a place like this? How could you place me in these kind of circumstances? When the reason that we're there often is because of our own foolish, willful ways. The point I'm trying to make here simply is this, that Jonah's prayer is a mark, I think, of superficial spirituality. God doesn't care when you come to Him about how flowery your language is. God doesn't care when you come to Him whether you can quote the King James English or not. 
God doesn't care when you come to Him in prayer that you put on a fancy preacher voice and say, Oh, God. What God cares about when you come to Him in authentic prayer is the state of your heart. That you would come before Him and you would lay your life bare before Him and you would be transparent and authentic and real and you would say, God... Here I am. I recognize that I am my own worst enemy. I have made foolish choices. I've disobeyed. I've disregarded your voice to me. That's authentic prayer. God doesn't need flowery religion. What He wants is just a humble, authentic heart. Was Jonah turning back to God here in chapter 2? I think so. I think there's evidence of that and a good argument can be made for that. But as I look at the prayer of Jonah here, it seems to me that there are some things that are missing conspicuously from his prayer. No mention of his rebellion. No mention of his disobedience. No apology for disobeying the voice of God. No promise to go back to Nineveh. And I might get some disagreement on this point, but it seems to me that this prayer, that in this prayer, Jonah is trying to seek reconciliation with God, but he's doing it on his own terms and not on God's terms. Friends, here's, here's what I've discovered in the Christian journey. That there are those times when we hear from God, we know what He wants us to do, and yet though we've heard from God, we choose foolishly, to disobey and not do His will. When God speaks to you, you you are confronted with a choice to either listen and obey, to trust Him and obey, to move on in obedience and obey, or to distrust Him, to say no, to move on in your own willful disobedience. Henry Blackaby calls this moment a crisis of belief. A moment when we are confronted by a choice to either obey God and please Him or to disobey God and to displease Him. Disobedience to God's voice. Hear this point. Disobedience to God's voice always brings sorrow. And disobedience to the voice of God will rob you of the blessings that He has earmarked for you. But, if you obey the voice of God because you love God and want to do His will, if you are committed to obedience even if it is uncomfortable for you, God will bring you something and do something in your life beyond your imagination and thinking. Sometimes the call of God on your life will cause you to feel uncomfortable because it's difficult, it's hard, it seems seemingly impossible. Sometimes obeying God's voice may require you to pay a very high personal price to be obedient to God. Sometimes the call of God on your life will not make earthly sense to you. God may be speaking to you right now. He may be asking you to do something that seems totally impossible or outside the realm of your capabilities. 
May I encourage you, my dear friends, to not only hear the voice of God, but to trust Him and even more importantly, to obey Him. I can tell you that if you will obey Him, that God will achieve the impossible through you if you just obey. The problem is so many of us like Jonah are guilty of superficial spirituality. We're very skilled, very skilled in following the approved religious forms of the day and in the use of our pious attitudes. We look holy, we put on our religious masks, we look good, but a little probing in our life, a little scratching beneath the surface reveals a far different condition. And I greatly fear that superficial spirituality is the norm in America rather than the exception. I fear that there is much of this superficial spirituality in my life and in our church. And I'm asking God to give us grace to see it for what it is and deal with it accordingly. Now, let me bring this down from the theoretical to the personal for a moment. I'm encouraging you to be, you to be honest with God in your prayer. So let me be honest with you for a moment. What God has asked me to do in my new assignment is not something that I want to do. This is not a career move. This is not an advancement. I am doing what um, Steve Volstad exhorted us to do when he preached some weeks ago. I am really stepping out of the boat on this one. But I have prayed hard and long about this, and God has spoken. And because I have committed to obedience, I'm doing this. Many of my friends are left scratching their head, wondering what in the world Crocker's up to now. They see it as a foolish move on. I mean, I, I've. I'm the pastor of First Alliance Church, one of the largest churches in the whole of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Crocker, you got the world by the tail. You're in this cushy little job up there. You got all these little gophers doing your work for you. What are you doing? I don't know. (laughs) Yes, I do. I'm obeying the voice of the Lord. And this step of obedience is uncomfortable for me. I find myself welling up with tears when I think about saying goodbye to you. This is very uncomfortable. And it's coming and it's asking a high personal price on my part.
but I'm committed to obey. And so I'm going to do it. And I hope it sets an example. Because my point this morning is this, friends. Disobedience to God's voice comes at a very high price. And it will rob you. It will rob you. But if you are committed to obey, you will be blessed. So, I don't know what it is that God is speaking to you today. I don't know what it is that the Lord is asking you to do. It may cause you to feel very uncomfortable. I fear, though, that some of you are raising your hands in a defensive posture against what God is asking of you. And like Jonah, instead of running toward God, you are running away from him. That you are saying to God, God, my way is better than your way. I've got this figured out. I'm going to do it my way, God. Some of you today are balking at the will of God. Some of you, you are hearing God's beckoning voice calling you. Some of you need to get right with God, and I fear that some of you will not Get right with God until you're in that desperate situation in the 11th hour when there's no more hope, when there's no more options, when everything, just like Jonah. Some of you are pushing God away. His vo- his, the voice of His Spirit keeps speaking to you and pressing upon your life. And, and you know it's God speaking to you. And yet, you're shutting Him out. You're so busy, you, you, just, you aren't even taking time to listen to what God is saying to you. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. You can either go straight to Nineveh in obedience to God's call on your life. When He first calls you, you can go straight to Nineveh. Or you can be foolish and let Him take you there ultimately. Let me tell you, though, that if you don't go voluntarily and in obedience to God, if you choose to make God put you in situations to take you to Nineveh, if you choose the latter, it's going to be a very wet and scary ride. And sometimes, because we are foolish, that's what has to happen, because we are foolish. Sometimes, because of our rebellion against the plan of God, we don't get it right until our third marriage. Sometimes, because of our foolishness and disobedience, we don't get it right with God until we're 50, when we could have gotten it right with God when we were 20. Sometimes, we wait longer than we should to overcome that addiction that is gripping our body and our mind and our spirit. Sometimes, We have to hit rock bottom with seaweed wrapping our head. Coming up for the last count. Irritated by our situation and our dire circumstances. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we start looking up. The beauty of chapter 3 is 
that Jonah gets a second chance. Instead of dying in the stomach of that fish, Jonah gets a return trip back to God's will. But he could have gotten there much more easily if in the first place he would have said yes. Remember, disobedience to God's voice always brings sorrow and robs you of God's blessings. But obedience, even when it is hard and uncomfortable, obedience always brings the fulfillment of something beyond our ken. Will you trust Him? Will you obey Him today? Let's stand and pray.